The Institute of Directors professional development programmes equip learners with the knowledge, skills and mindset to be enterprising and innovative, enabling organisations to become more productive and competitive. The IOD's programmes ensure directors develop an awareness of their interpersonal skills, legal and business knowledge, financial acumen, ethical questioning, decision-making abilities and the highest standards of professional conduct. The IOD is the only institute in the world to offer internationally recognised qualifications designed by directors for directors under Royal Charter. For more information on IOD training, visit iod.com today. Welcome to the Institute of Directors Scotland Business Podcast, a podcast where we interview directors from all over Scotland about their careers and business. I'm your host, Marlene Lowe, I'm UK Director for Four Bytes and a long-term IOD member. This week, we're speaking with Gillian Thompson. She's a strong advocate for mental health, transformational coaching and heart-centered leadership. And she's well-suited in her multiple roles as founder and coach for several businesses, the main one being Gillian Thompson Limited, which is a boutique leadership development consultancy. Gillian started her career as an engineer, followed by around 15 years of experience in senior learning and development and HR roles. Hope you really enjoy this interview with Gillian. When I was younger, I was brought up on a farm, so I was always really um, interested in, uh, I guess, food production, like how food got from the field to our plate. And I used to work on the farm when I was younger. So when I um, was choosing which degree to do at university, I chose manufacturing engineering because I was keen to continue in that type of industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off my career, I did that at Strathclyde University in Glasgow and started off my career as a manufacturing engineer. So I worked for Diageo, the drinks company, and then I worked for Mars, the confectionery company. Nice. Mars is a company that really values breadth. So their graduate development program, which is what I joined, they move you around different functions. So I, oh, I wow. did some work in manufacturing, but then I did some work in marketing and then some work in HR. And I really loved HR. So I ended up building my career um, in that function. Um, wow yeah so a bit of a change from what I planned originally (laughs) Um, but I so I worked my first HR role I was looking after HR for one of the confectionery factories in Slough that Mars has um Mm. it's no longer there now but it's where we used to make Twix bars so that was um yeah a lethal (laughs) place to be in the morning and I did so like business facing HR roles where you're supporting a business team and I moved between those and uh, like center of expertise roles so like learning and development and talent roles throughout my career um, so worked for Mars for uh, several years and then worked for RBS um, joined them just before the credit crunch um, mm-hmm. and stayed with them for two years Um, And that was the time, I think, being in financial services at that time, it was a real test of my personal values and integrity. Um, So, and I I realized that it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, So moved fairly quickly then and worked for Centrica, where I was group head of talent. 
um, and laterally head of HR for the British Gas call centres. Um, and then I had my son and uh, when he was uh, not that old, about eight months old, we moved up to Aberdeen um, because my dad was ill, uh, lived nearby. And that was when, when I returned to work after maternity leave, that's when I decided to set my own business up rather than go back into a corporate role um and yes. yeah and it was i think in hindsight the best decision because it's given me at that time so my son's seven nearly eight now at that time it gave me the flexibility um to kind of work around him um, mm-hmm. and to manage my hours and things around him and now um and now although i still he's at school now obviously but i just love having that flexibility and that freedom to work on the things that interest me and to mm. manage my own diary and to just get involved in things that i'm really passionate about yeah so was it hard to make that decision i mean it, it sounds like the logical decision to make but a lot of people would find that hard to go from the stability of full-time employment to the uncertainty of finding your own full-time employment was that yeah, kind of hard decision? Like, it'd probably be a different scenario if i was making that decision now to be honest but um yeah. at the time um i was still married i'm not anymore but um at the time we didn't actually need me to have a salary we could like i could have chosen not to work if i wanted to but i would that was never something that appealed to me (laughs) and uh so and i also was able to take redundancy from centrica so i had a bit of a um a cash lump sum to see me through but also the um anything anything at that point was kind of extra money for us as a family so um i didn't have that pressure that some people have i think when they're making this decision that they need to be making like the equivalent of what they were earning straight away um or they maybe only got a couple of months um to support them um then and gradually and the business so like i started off andrew was still a baby so i started off i was just working two days a week and then as he went to nursery i upped that and then obviously now i'm working full time in the business and um, but it has it's enabled me to do like say things that i'm passionate about as well so i'm uh, on the board of directors for a charity that's based in aberdeen called inspire um i'll be taking over the chair of uh, as chair of that board in October um, and that's given me a whole different perspective and something I probably would never have got involved in if I'd been working in the corporate environment mm. um, and things like and like with Andrew going to school now I've been able to do pickups and drop-offs without having to worry about getting to the office quickly and things yeah. like that. <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes life so much easier I think for a working parent be that a female or a male um, mm. and yeah, now I'm, and now I'm in the position that like, I'm having, like I say, I'm no longer married, so I do need to have an income, a decent income <laughs> coming from what I do. And having built it up over the last few years, I'm, I'm in that position now, which is yeah. great, but still have that freedom and, and flexibility to focus on the things that I care about. Yeah. So we've known each other for a few years on and off. Um, but to me, you've always been a very busy, dedicated mom, but very busy business owner as well, an entrepreneur. Well, in my eyes, I see you as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, was, was there a point in your life where you realized that you were able to do it all? <laughs> I don't think anyone ever feels like they're able to do it all. It's funny, no. <laughs> I was having a conversation with my business partner about this today. 
um, like the, the never-ending guilt of the working parent. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I do have this tendency that you feel like you're not spending enough time on one or the other. So, or the other. Um, yeah, and God forbid if you should take some time for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's that's mentally that's been a big challenge um, yeah. for me. But I, I know in myself I could never... Um, and I applaud the women that do uh, stay at home and, and look after the kids because I know I could never do it. Um, and uh, But I do have that tension, I guess, between the time I spend with Andrew and the time that I'm working and trying to be fully present with one or the other and not kind of mm. just spread myself too thinly. Yeah. No, so speaking of... <laughs> So speaking of all the ventures that you've got, you're going to take over as chair, yeah. you sit on the board, mm -hmm. you've got your own business, yeah. and then you've got the group leadership. Yes, heart-centered leaders that I run with. Daily. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so that's, that's a fairly new venture. Yeah. 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 So first of all, tell us about your own venture. So your own business and what it is that you do in it. Because I've yeah. realized I've not actually said that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so my own business is called Fearless Edge and I'm a transformational coach and leadership development specialist. So um, I work with individuals on I get what I would call self-limiting beliefs so you'll have coaches that will work somebody will come with a problem and they want help with that problem and um, they'll work through that I often find actually there's deeper rooted um, beliefs that are holding people back from fulfilling their potential so I work with people on that area and I also work a lot tends not exclusively but tends to be with female leaders around um, what I find is similar to me, I often find particularly those in male dominated environments, they feel that they have to um, put on a facade or be somebody that they're not um, mm. as leaders and they don't feel they're being authentic or that they can bring them their whole selves to work. And, and that's a lot what the vulnerability movement and the webinar series that I've been doing recently has been focused on how to be more vulnerable at, at work, um, which isn't something we do naturally. Um, yeah, so that's prime. So the primary part of that business is one-to-one uh, -one coaching. Um, I also do work uh, with groups of leaders as well, so within organisations. And I'm a workplace mediator, so I specialise in conflict resolution. Um, so all that kind of space around leadership development. When did, because everything that you're doing and all of the ventures are all very centred around leadership. So when did you get that? passion for leadership when did you get the leadership bug <laughs> it's it's been a hobby horse of mine for, for a long time so what i've noticed and i notice it particularly in uh, technical engineering even like functional industries like law and accountancy that people often get promoted into roles because they're really good mm -hmm. at what they do um whether that's they're a great engineer or they're a great lawyer or whatever so they get there's nowhere for them to go um, in terms of upwards in the organization unless they start to take on leadership roles and yes. um, so they often get promoted because they're really good technically and either don't have the role models or don't have the support to help them be really great leaders as well um, and so we put them in these roles and we expect them to fly and in reality they sink <laughs> and because they've not had the support to develop the skills that don't that come naturally to a small proportion of people but they don't come naturally to everybody 
and they are completely learnable as well. So I often hear people say, oh, uh, great leaders are like, you have to be born a great leader. I, I absolutely think you can learn to be a great leader. Um, and that's about developing skills around empathy and listening and um, vulnerability and, yeah. and um, empowering others and all these kinds of things, which, which are learnable. Yeah. So that's that's my focus. But it's something that I see too often. We like I say, we put leaders in these positions and then they fail um, because we're not giving them the support to develop those areas. Be that through training or coaching or mentoring or just having some really good role models around them. Nobody, yeah. nobody goes into those roles wanting to be a bad leader. <laughs> they yeah, just, exactly. just don't that's know how. True. Yeah. Yeah. So you take that on board of teaching people how to be good leaders and taking them through that personal journey, because it is a very personal journey, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't quite call myself a teacher. There are elements, that's in the, I guess, if I'm doing leadership development programs and things, but certainly from the coaching aspect, it all comes from within. So everybody has yeah. it within them. And all, all I'm doing is asking the questions to make them think a bit differently, to help them explore different options. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... It, coaching isn't so much teaching us um, just helping people be the best that they can be. And to, like yes. I said before, kind of uncover those limiting beliefs that are holding them back. So tell me about the workshops. How have they been going and how is that shaping? Yeah. And going to be taken forward? Yes. Well, that's a good question. So um, we're in the middle of, I'm not sure when this will go out on air October probably yeah <laughs> <So> <laughs> as, we, as we record this we're in the middle of um a series of five events one a week called the v movement and the v stands for vulnerability um mm. and what we found to so myself and my colleague heather that i'm running them with we are part of a group of coaches together and what we realized was that um people didn't really know each other we knew each other but we didn't know each other <laughs> and yeah. we didn't know each other's stories we didn't um know what made each other tick or what we believed in or things like that and so we weren't really connecting on that deeper level and we were kind of like pussyfooting around things and maybe not having <laughs> the conversations that we needed to have um, yeah. and so heather and i recorded uh, our own videos each that basically told our stories so kind of shared a lot about ourselves that um, certainly for me, I'd never shared with anyone before and, um, and Heather the same. And there was this kind of ripple effect where everybody started sharing their stories and all of a sudden we felt so much more connected because there were so many similarities between some of the stories and like, yeah. um, so much uh, that resonated between each other. Um, but also then you're not have, when you weren't having to hide behind anything, you weren't having to pretend to be somebody that you're not. Um, yeah. and, so we, this, and this is so true at work as well. We come to work and we, we put on a different persona and we think we have to behave in a certain way or act in a certain way. And we, um, we're completely different out of work sometimes and we yeah. feel quite separate and actually starting to share more of yourself and more of like, why do you believe? What do you believe? What are your values? What, what really are you passionate about? Um, what are some of the things that you've never told anybody and, and starting to share some of that vulnerability is really powerful and if leaders yeah. start to do it then they encourage their team to do it um, yeah. and the challenge that people have is that vulnerability seems like weakness um, and in reality they are the 
leaders that are able to show their vulnerability are the strongest and most effective leaders because their team connect with them and mm. therefore want to do more for them. They want to put in that discretionary effort because they, they feel invested in it. Yeah. It's funny that talking to you a few weeks ago feels like a few weeks ago. It might actually be a month or two ago now. <laughs> um, but the last time we talked, our discussion seemed to be this catalyst within my own circle of people because we we talked about leadership but then all of a sudden I was talking to someone else about leadership and then a third person about leadership and a fourth person about leadership and a fifth person and it was really interesting how all of them were independent and I'm pretty sure no none of you know each other <laughs> but they were all they were all around the same topics of leadership needs to change and it's all about being more genuine letting people in not having that stiff upper lip yeah. Um, but then when it comes down to practice, and I know you and I discuss this as well, it's hard when it comes down into practice to actually take that step forward yeah. and show that vulnerability because you don't know how many people around you are ready to get onto that, that yeah. train, rolling wagon, the momentum of it. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a big piece around um, trust and psychological yeah. safety to feel able yeah. to do that and um, we talked about that in the session that we did today actually um that as a leader building that psychological safety within your team is really important so you have mm. to role model it um, you you have to be the first one to be vulnerable yeah. to encourage <laughs> others to do the same um and to so that people know that there isn't, they don't need to be afraid of sharing, that they've yeah. got a team around them that's got their back and that they're going to have more connection as a result of it. Yeah. So do you see that changing now or is it still very quite a small, I respect that we were probably only looking at Scotland here mm -hmm. with who we're talking to, but have you seen a change in that over the last few months? I think definitely there's um, there's been a shift with the uh, COVID-19. So nice. we have, um, we see more of people. So yeah. I think you're probably about to see my son because I can hear him coming down the stairs <laughs> and he's supposed to be in bed. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> he's just getting a drink. <laughs> Enjoy your drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like things like that happen. We see we're seeing people's houses, we're seeing them in their own environment, we're seeing their kids around them. Yeah. Um when they've been seeing the hammock. Getting, <laughs> getting the hammock in the background. Um and so we're seeing more of each other and also we're having to be more compassionate with with each other, more understanding. And I think what people are seeing is actually it, it does work like that it works better yeah and I've spoken to quite a lot of people who have said actually our team's more productive now where we we feel like we know each other even better now because we we spend more time um getting to know each other we know kind of what each other's houses look like yeah exactly. <laughs> what their kids are up to and, and things like that so yeah so certainly I think it has had a bearing um and I think there's definitely uh, I mean there are so much so many more articles about it um just when mm. you start to look at the press and when you when you look at stuff like around diversity and inclusion and um and things like that there's definitely a shift away from the command and control culture of old and a recognition that that doesn't work 
Um, yeah. And that actually leaders that are compassionate, have empathy, um, are more vulnerable, um, which is everything that we would call a heart-centered leader, are, yeah, exactly. are much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there will be space in the world going forward to have leaders that aren't heart-centered leaders? I think over time they will um, become fewer and fewer. I hope over time they'll become yeah. fewer and fewer. I think, I mean, so heart-centered leadership doesn't mean soft. It doesn't mean you can't be tough in a crisis. It doesn't mean you can't take control when you need to. Um, Which is probably a misconception when you say yeah, heart-centered, yeah. they're like, oh, it's a softie yeah, and someone that doesn't know how to make it. Look, if you look at um, like Jacinda Hearn, for example, um, yeah. she's the like personification of a heart-centered leader in my view. And why can she get things done <laughs> and can she yep. deal with the crisis? Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so I think there's there's space for a broader understanding of what heart-centered leaders means. And I think the leaders that are more command and control and dictatorial will mm. eventually die out. <laughs> yeah. Um, they'll be re and be replaced by, by more heart-centered ones. That's my hope. Anyway. So I would say our stereotype of women and, and more women do seem to have the traits that we would associate more with heart-centered yeah. leadership. But I don't yeah. think that's by any stretch means to say that men don't have that. And no, not at all. Fact, certainly what we're seeing now is a lot more vulnerability in men, a lot more men talking about, out, yeah. about things like mental health at work and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And I think the challenge has been this societal expectation of men um, not to show their feelings, not to say yeah. that they're um, upset or feeling vulnerable or that they don't know the answers or, or things like that. Um, yeah. So I'm seeing a shift in that. It's a slow shift, but I hope that it will continue. And yeah. we will get much more of a balance between male and female in leadership positions, ethnic minorities, sexual mm -hmm. all, all diversity. All yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because we were talking about how as women we feel need to put on a, a image to be in a leadership role and not dress in the quirky hippie clothes that we will on a Sunday morning. Um, but then actually maybe the biggest shift will be for men. Yeah. For them to be able to say actually I am vulnerable or I am sad or I am feeling these emotions and not having to put on that facade of what you expect from the stereotypical male leader. Yeah I think there's a bit of both. I think there's, gonna, there's a shift for women to feel it's okay to be themselves at work and then yeah. a shift for men to feel it's okay to talk about how they're feeling and things like that as well yeah. not just in work to be honest but, and, exactly. <laughs> and maybe it's just that the workplace is taking a while to catch up but we see it yeah. more in um relationships parenthood for example things are becoming mm. more on an uneven footing um it's still like when you look at the stats it was still women that provided most of the childcare during lockdowns and things like that but but there's yeah. a shift coming there um yeah and i think it's it takes a generation so what's your next adventure what's my next adventure well um myself and david are continuing to build heart-centered leaders so we've been having an exciting couple of days working on the strategy that so uh, watch this space for more on heart-centered leaders um, and hopefully as lockdown as restrictions ease um, we're hoping to do more kind of outdoor nature coaching as well
lovely yeah so um yeah look, be out for, look out for all of that yeah um, mm, yeah so what's the direction if you're ready to say it what is the direction heart-centered leaders is going to take where do you want to be in two years time let's say yeah, so we've probably not tied it down as much to that, but what we what we'd like to have is a really thriving community. So we've got a small community; they're really engaged at, at the moment. We'd like to build that um, and and have it as a thriving community, and then build some more products around that. So Heart Centered Leaders is the membership community, yeah. um, but then to build some programs that support that and uh, and some more coaching programs around that as well. So. Um, yeah, it's exciting time. <laughs> we were buzzing today as we were talking about it. So for anyone listening to this, can anyone in the world join? Yes, absolutely. The Heart Centered Leaders is a um, virtual membership program. So we have an online community. Um, we meet by Zoom once a week um, mm -hmm. and share. Uh, so all leaders, but we, we share kind of any challenges, thoughts, ideas, etc. David and myself will hot seat coach one or two people um, as well. So you get the opportunity to be coached by us. Um, and yes. then in the online community, uh, we post every weekday um, lots of kind of reflection, tips, tools to support you on your heart centered leaders journey. Excellent. So where can people go to find you? Um, so it's heartcenteredleaders.co and it's centred, spelt, spelt the British way, C-E-N-T-R-E-D. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. There will be links in the show notes, but I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> yeah, and then David and myself are both very active on LinkedIn as well. So if, you, if anyone listening wants to connect with us on LinkedIn, then um, we'd love to hear from you. I'll do links in the bio for that as well. Lovely. Cool. But as I'm also writing a book at the moment. Yes. Yes. Book. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's based around heart-centered leadership. It's based around kind of what we've been talking. So yeah. for um, people coming from particularly tech leadership also, it's um, called From Head to Heart, The Technical Experts Guide to Heart-Centered Leadership. Been interviewing lots of leaders uh, to get their perspective on it, and now I'm down to the more difficult task I'm finding of actually writing. <laughs> so that's my that's my task over the next few months is to to actually get the book written and um, yeah. release at some point next year. Mm -hmm.